Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 27th. We're recording this on Tuesday, June 26th. So if there's anything that happens on like Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, sorry about that, but we're recording this on June 26th. So No spoilers, it. guys. No spoilers. Don't let us know. You guys are in the future. We are not. Jeez. Uh, I'm Conor O'Gara. He is Chris Marler. Chris, we have... Actual football stuff that we want to get to today. We do have a lot. I promise you that. It is the last weekend of June, though. Yeah. And the last week of June means that we are in the last week of the year in which we don't have actual football stuff going on because July is media days. August is fall camp. Sweat month. So basically, yeah, sweat month. This is the last week of the off season, as far as I'm concerned. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I mean, I just, I'm ready to feel alive inside again. I had to go to Ikea on Sunday. I don't ever want to have to do that again. I don't wish that on anyone. Why do they make Ikeas look like hockey stadiums? Or airports. Also, who is eating brunch, a sit-down brunch at Ikea? That's a different kind of life. I don't think I'm ready for that. I um, I was just searching for somewhere to hide out and have a panic attack. And people just sitting down, having a casual little brunch with each other. Who's having date night at Ikea? Gosh, the offseason's long. It makes us do some weird things. Yeah. I think that's what this comes down to. That's uh, Weird things like we're watching you know, college baseball. Well, that's not that weird. The College World Series is always fun to watch. Um, and as per usual, SEC team is in it. We did not get that all-SEC final like we did last year and like we did with the college football playoff. But nonetheless, Arkansas is in the College World Series. By the time that you hear this podcast, you will know the results of Game 1. Game 1 was actually supposed to be played on Monday night, but it got rained out because it always rains. Shocking. uh, But yeah, Arkansas facing Oregon State, your beloved Oregon State Beavers. (laughs) So this is the longest college baseball season ever, first off. Mm -hmm. This rain has been terrible. I mean, that's why, you know, I think in my state power rankings, Nebraska has Again, moved into the bottom five. What? Most okay, of your come dismay. On, come, on, come on. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. It's still, it's still above South Dakota and Wyoming, but it's, it's down there. That being said, yeah, I'm kind of torn right now because I want to pull for Arkansas because of my job, but also my girlfriend went to Oregon State, and they don't have a lot to brag about. They're terrible at football. They're terrible at other things being relevant. They've Mike Riley. More. Mike Riley, yeah, though. They had That's... a coach that was decent seven years ago. Yeah, but she went to Beaverton High School. They were the Beaverton Beavers. That's not real. There's no way that is real. That's yeah, made up. I'm, actually, that is real, and I'm pretty sure that their rivals were the Berenstein Bears. But regardless, um, yeah, that's where she went, and she's a big Oregon State fan, and this is pretty much all she has to look forward to for the rest of the sports season. So I'm torn, but I bet on Arkansas. They're a 2-1 to one underdog. How is that possible? Oh, because Oregon State scored like a billion runs every game leading up yeah. to this. Yeah. Okay. That makes a little bit of sense. And they have the greatest pitcher like in college baseball that we're not going to talk about. So moving yeah. forward. <laughs> yeah. Moving forward. Uh, yeah. I watched because I watched the game the other day uh, when they beat Mississippi State and they just absolutely demolished them. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty upsetting for Mississippi State fans to see their, their season come to an end like that. But yeah, the College World Series is always entertaining. Uh, have you ever been to it? It's a blast. No, I, <laughs> I actually I went one year because Indiana was there the year Kyle Schwarber was in it, so I went. I made the trip oh. up back when I was living in Nebraska. It was no, a good time. I, I um I came one one game from playing in it for D two, but I oh, struck yeah. out thing. in the last bottom of the last inning, so uh, we didn't make it. That wasn't the only reason we didn't make it, but um no, I've wow. never been. I have, I really have no desire to go to Nebraska, but that would be my Such one reason to go. Missing out, man. Am I, though? Am Omaha, I? Omaha is barely in Nebraska, too. It's basically in Iowa, so it's kind of like... Nebraska just seems like a, a local county fair that somehow became an entire state. 
Fun fact, county fairs in Nebraska are lit. They get some really good country <laughs> artists. I had a deep fried Snickers at my first county fair in Nebraska, and I remember thinking to myself, this should be illegal. Uh, so yeah, don't hate it, it on the state of Nebraska. I, okay. <laughs> Moving on. I think I convinced you. Uh, football stuff that we actually want to get to, an offseason storyline that's been really developing the last month or so. Basically, since June started, I feel like this has really been uh, coming to the forefront. We're in All June. these new rules in the recruiting cycle were supposed yes. to, I think, hurt the SEC. You had official visits that were allowed in the spring, they call it, basically from beginning of April all the way to the last weekend in June. And all of these SEC teams that were supposed to be hurt by this, it was supposed to benefit the Northern teams because they get kids on campus when it's not like 40 degrees and sleeting outside. The SEC is dominating. The SEC is dominating recruiting right now. I don't know if you've looked at the rankings. The latest, yeah, I know. But like more than (laughs) usual, not just in a way that's like, oh yeah, the SEC is top heavy, whatever. I just love how like the whole like the reason for the Big Ten was like you want to get them on campus, you know, when it's not like forty degrees and raining. Like even though that's going to be most of your entire existence at this campus, we want to make sure that you don't have to experience that during your visit. <laughs> if like, you're Minnesota, if you're Minnesota and you're like, ugh. man, we know even in those late September games, it's like getting down to forty degrees. There's nothing we can do to change I, that. Yeah, it's how tough. do you get somebody to come to Minnesota? You just take them to like a tanning salon, I guess, indoors, and let them watch Mighty Ducks too. So Minnesota has a top 20 class right now. It actually is Shut benefiting. P.J. Fleck. This. Yeah, P.J. Fleck is uh, rowing the boat up there. But also, by the way, there are nine SEC teams ranked in the top 20 in the national rankings right now. Is that good? Did we break yeah, it? I think, I think it's good. I think everybody's going to start complaining really soon. SEC has the top three teams, Alabama at one, Texas say, A&M at say two. Say that again for the people in the back. The SEC has the top three teams the top three the top three. Oh, i've got some stats for you you're gonna love this so top three teams bama a&m lsu and then you've got mississippi state at nine georgia 11 south carolina 14 ole miss 15 auburn at 16 tennessee at 18 that's over half the conference yeah yeah that's very i mean i'm really good at math yeah you are that's almost half the top 20 yeah so uh speaking of the top 20 the breakdown by conference is sec nine the Big Ten has four teams in the top 20. The ACC has three. The Big 12 has two. The Pac-12 has one. And independent Notre Dame also one. The My top favorite 20 is, is, still, is still the, the five stars that Georgia has. Because Georgia's 11th right now. And there's no – I will bet anything – again, favorite new, favorite new phrase. I'll bet you anything my girlfriend owns that Georgia ends up in the top five. Like there's just no way they don't. And, and so they've got three five stars. And as you pointed out to me earlier – what is that? What is that stat? Um, so Georgia has more five stars than the entire Big Twelve and Pac Twelve combined. <laughs> they have two of the top six players in the country. Yeah, and yeah, what, I, we're gonna follow this stat and see how long it holds. Like if we're sitting here beginning of December, we're like three weeks away from early signing day. It's like, yeah, Georgia still has more five star kids than the entire Big Twelve and Pac Twelve combined. That's uh that's it's, it's funny with the Big Ten, especially because like Michigan moved up in the top five, but a lot of their players, a lot of like some of the, the better players from Michigan aren't committed to Michigan. Right. Yeah. That's kind of a weird trend in the state of Michigan. Uh Jim Harbaugh doesn't really like to just stick in the state. They kind of right. Recruits in the state of Michigan kind of go all over the place. It's never really just been a Michigan-dominated area, even though it does have it's decent for for talent. It's not a Florida or a Texas, but it's up there. Yeah, I mean that's that's the incredible thing that you look around some of these these programs and you're like, okay, yeah, Michigan, of course, is going to be up there, and you expect your blue bloods, your Alabamas, to be number one. 
How about Mississippi State sitting there at number nine? I'm gonna I'm gonna go. pimp here Joe Warhead for for a minute here. Yeah, wait, hold on. You're gonna do what? Gonna, you get on to me about sometimes repeating jokes, and this is this is a repeating segment on here. The I'm just bro Moorhead segment. I'm just saying. Ooh, can we we should trademark that bro well, Moorhead. Yeah, we, I mean we shouldn't, but yeah, we can. Okay. <laughs> so there's a little stat that uh, our uh, Michael Bratton floated around. Uh, that's really impressive that I, I looked it up just to fact check it and make sure that he was right before I came on air and defended it because I think it's such a great stat. Dan Mullen's best recruiting class at Mississippi State was the 2015 class that had seven recruits rated four stars or better. Good God. It's the end of June, and Joe Moorhead already has seven recruits committed, ranked four stars or better. I think six of them are from the state of Mississippi or something like yeah. that. They're all from south of the Mason-Dixon line, so throw away that theory that Joe Moorhead's not going to be able to recruit in a region that he's never coached in before. That's that's garbage. That's a thing of the past. And even I was skeptical thing about that. Thing of the past, totally. Uh, Joe Moorhead just basically going to win a national championship. Remember when you started this segment and you were like, because it's June and these re- these recruiting rankings don't really matter that much right now. And then I know. But when it's Mississippi State, I totally get it. No, I, I think it's great. I mean, because like Mississippi, like, it's not like Mississippi produces – it's like one, it's not one of the more talented, heavy states in the country as far as recruits go. It's obviously always your Texas, your California, Georgia, and Florida. But there's so much talent that comes out of Mississippi, and a lot of it's lost. So either right. you know, going to LSU, going to Alabama, you know, going out of state, and so it's pretty cool to watch them and Ole Miss, to be honest, keep some mm-hmm. of that in-state talent because that's a that's a, such a heated rivalry. But I mean, also a little bit of like the wealth being spread, like. Tennessee has a five star. Granted, there are like thirty four total five stars this year, which is more than I've seen. That's that's pretty much par for the course. It usually ends up in like the, I think the late twenties. Yeah, but like so, Tennessee has a five star. You know, obviously Georgia has a couple. Auburn's got a top ten player. It's out of Grace in Georgia, so they and that high school has two, which is crazy. But I mean, Alabama. I pointed out earlier, Alabama's leading for the top two prospects in the state of Hawaii. So it's kind of like a bizarre year. Like every time I see a player from Hawaii that has like eight O's and a couple of P's in his name, I'm like, well, that guy's going to USC. Right. I mean, when was when was the last time a player from Hawaii like started Alabama? Like crazy concepts, right? No, I mean, not in my time. Never heard not of on it. my watch. Yeah. I mean, none that really crossed my mind. So um, none wouldn't start for Joe Moorhead. Championship. Yeah, wouldn't start for Joe Moorhead. That's a good point. So, but yeah, there's an interesting stat about the five stars that you bring up because um, yes, this is June recruits. They are only verbally committed, and kids are going to flip. I get all that stuff. But last year in the entire recruiting cycle, the SEC signed 10 five-star recruits. It's only June, but there are right. 11 five-star recruits that are committed to SEC schools right now. And also, I don't see a lot of the kids, if they do flip, maybe it's just because I'm usually watching, I'm more apt to watching like SEC stuff, but it seems like they usually flip to another SEC school. Yeah, and that's the other thing is that usually a lot of the flips, and I, you know, I, I, I feel like I can say this somewhat confidently, is a lot of times what what you get is a, a kid that commits to a northern school from an SEC territory, and then ultimately like a Kirby Smart or an Nick Saban swoops in at the eleventh hour, right? And they end up going to that school just because they have more access to visits, all that stuff, whatever. We'll see if that plays out this year, but. The other one stat that I wanted to hit on that I think is noteworthy. Um, so the SEC last year in their entire recruiting cycle got 116 four-star signees. As of right now, uh, the SEC is has over half of that at 63 four-star commits. And there's like 160 of them left, rated four stars or better. Um, that's essentially you know half of the the four or five star recruits that are left that are still uncommitted so that is a lot of math it's june like it's early in the recruiting cycle but i think kids are recruiting earlier than ever the recruiting calendar has been moved up and this 
this is this could just become a, a trend. You know, you have a lot more guys in the SEC right now that just flat out know how to recruit, and that could yeah. be the thing that makes a difference. It's an arms race. I mean, the whole thing. It's the same. It's the same with you know the facilities and stuff like that. But recruiting, especially, it, it's an absolute arms race, and you you want to get the best kids on campus. And then you know, and like LSU, LSU flipped a kid from that was coming to Auburn this past weekend and moved up to number three. I mean, the biggest thing is not just getting these kids on campus into your program, but developing them. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they do that. And LSU got the the five star cornerback, uh, cornerback, yeah. which was yeah, big time. Yeah, I mean, there's this is going to be something that we're going to follow throughout this process. If this stays like this, dang, that's also I want to point this out. Like, and this is not a knock on LSU, and I'm not I'm not being petty as a Bama fan because Bama has so many of those. Like, they finished number one for a long time, but Jesus, LSU has two commits from five stars. Do you know what city they are both from? They're both five stars out of the 33 in the entire country. They have two from the same exact city. Shreveport, your favorite. Baton Rouge. Oh, fun town. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Okay, yeah, also where LSU is. That's that's cool. That's convenient. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's where they, they, they play the football there. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, good point. Hey, come on. Eight wins every year. No, that wasn't a knock on them. That was a knock on you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty dumb. But, yeah, we're going to follow recruiting throughout the offseason, throughout the regular season. We're not going to go crazy in depth on these things because until they're signed, sealed, delivered, nothing is official, as we know. But when there's this many kids committed this early on, it's usually a pretty good sign that things are going to work out. Yeah. Uh, a man who is at the top of those recruiting rankings who we've talked about. We talked about a good amount. I feel we've given him his, his fair share. Our good friend Jimbo Fisher not a fan of Kevin Sullivan's office. <laughs> um, couldn't believe that this quote came out. But uh, so Jimbo Fisher told uh, Dave Campbell's football magazine uh, in Texas that, um, quote, it's like a damn nightclub in here. This ain't going to be my office. Said that looking around Kevin Sullivan's office. You saying office. ain't sounded so natural, by the way. <laughs> uh, ain't y'all. I could, this I could ain't going to be my office. I don't want your life. I don't want. I used to have uh, teachers that would tell me "ain't" isn't in the dictionary, so you, so you shouldn't say it. "Ain't" is totally in the dictionary. That's a lie. Oh, it's absolutely in there because I looked it up one time and I was like, "No, you're wrong." I guarantee you, every single person that's listening to this when you started that thought you were going with a different saying because I grew up on hearing "ain't" ain't a word, so you ain't gonna say it. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. Too. <laughs> Welcome to Alabama. Yeah, I mean Jimbo. Jimbo saying this was kind of shocking. I was I was really surprised because it was one of those things that has nothing to do with the upcoming season. But it was like a you know a little peel behind the onion, a little peek behind the curtains, as we say, of something that was totally irrelevant and, and kind of like <laughs> like a, it was like watching an episode of House Hunters. Yes, yes. Thank you. I was glad that you said this. It's like how can you be a person who walks in to a previous person's digs, as we like right. to say. And complain about it, like, right. dude. Like you're you're a different person. What what do you? How is he I'm supposed Jimbo to know Fisher. That this is my away? wife. So I collect pogs and stamps. And my wife actually has her own knitting company. And our 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 budget is one point eight billion dollars. Yeah, oh, how cool. is that possible? Every single person that goes on House Hunters is like, yeah, we're moving. Or especially in you know, House Hunters International when they move to a new oh city, my gosh. and they're like, yeah, neither of us have jobs, but right. we're in, like just in an in between phase, like. We're yeah. just, you know, we want to try something new. Yeah, we went to Cambodia just because, like, we oh saw it on God. a map, and we're like, "Oh, this could be kind of fun." We don't have jobs. We don't know the language, but like, our budget's two million dollars. So, what? I, I mean, like, I, I've recently looked. <laughs> I mean, I know how much I don't qualify for a home, and it's a lot. But like, 
Yeah. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? No idea. So just, I don't know how, what the home prices are in Orlando, but in Atlanta, they're becoming outrageous in the city. So anyway, but Chip and Joe on this next episode, just going to be going in there and just demolishing Kevin someone's old office. It's a, it's like a nightclub. Maybe Kevin e- or Kevin uh, someone went through a little emo phase every November. That's Maybe. why everything was black. He got I think upset. He went, I think he went through a Dwight Schrute phase. Yeah, Remember maybe when, that too. When, when Michael goes interview for the job, we're talking about The Office, of course. If there's ever a reference <laughs> that you don't understand, it's probably because we're just watching The Office and yeah, sir. we're just talking about it. Uh, but yeah, when Michael goes to New York to interview for the corporate job and Dwight thinks that he's going to become the new manager and paints The Office walls black, that's what I, I can't picture anything else for Kevin Someone's office than that. Yeah, also, why would they not paint it something like a different color? Before Jimbo got the job. To intimidate his subordinates. <laughs> also, maybe that. I just like to imagine Kevin Summon, like, sitting in his office with the lights out, just listening to, like, Death Cab for Cutie or something which was really bad after, like, an LSU loss or, like, just like, yet another November collapse and just like, oh, man. Kevin, are you listening to Taking Back Sunday? That's a lot. That's way too much, <laughs> man. But, yeah, like, if you're going to bring in a new coach and pay him $75 million, like, I don't know, maybe get a paint job in that office first. Maybe. I don't know. They just give him a blank canvas and say, go with it. I want to see what Jimbo's office is going to look like. Oh, it better look good. It better look good. If you're going to call out a guy for his taste, man, you better have some good taste. I'm not talking just Chip and JoJo stuff. I'm talking like tricked out, like Dabo Sweeney's office. MTV Cribs type stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Dabo's got a sweet office there at Clemson. He's got like, I can't remember. I remember watching one of those like Marty Smith interviews or something like that. Marty Smith and Dabo are like low key best friends, by the way. Marty Smith is low key best friends with everyone somehow. I'm That's Marty true. Smith. Yeah, we're gonna we're actually gonna quote a Marty Marty Smith podcast uh, later for something Lane Kiffin related. But I, I will say the greatest like if I was ever inventing an office or creating like a workspace outside of the one that I created this weekend for my Sick kid, brag. the model I would go after is the kid from Blank Check. Oh yeah. No doubt. Having, having like a water slide from his bedroom down to the pool, that's pretty sick. That being said, I want to know, I thought about this earlier today because like when you're a kid, you have like different stuff up in your room. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you think it's cool at the time. Looking back on it, I'm like, oh, yikes. Why did I have this? What is, what is the worst or most embarrassing thing you had in your room as a child? So I've got two, and I'm not sure the first one's really that embarrassing. It's more of a sick brag, if anything. Well, maybe you don't open with it. So, um, so I had uh, Wheaties boxes, empty Wheaties boxes, stacked in my room, uh, covered the entire wall. I think I had like 70 or 80 Wheaties boxes. Connor, there's nothing that surprises me. Yeah. But, I was like, it, but like, you see, you seem like the kind of kid that like ate a crap ton of Wheaties. I did. And then like, looking at her like, I did seven push-ups today. Can you see a difference, guys? Yeah, I'm talking about when was... you're like eight, not like not like when you're 17. Yeah, when I was like 17, 18, I did that. <laughs> um, and then, so in my college, uh, my college apartment, I actually had. Um, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, we're both big Michael Jackson fans. Yeah, I had the um, the Thriller album cover. That's cool. Um, uh, the poster of it, which, if you recall, is just basically Michael Jackson like sitting in that slumped pose where he's like laying kind of half on his his side, oh, yeah. And he's in like all white glitter, and he's just giving you like a gaze, yeah, yeah. And um, from the uh, "Rock with Me" video, right? Rock yeah, with so my, video. My future wife—that's that's a very catchy song, really catchy, fantastic. Song. Uh, my future wife remembered seeing that and going, "What in the world did I get myself into?" Yeah, I mean, that's cool, though. In college, like, I feel like everyone was, like, had a Boondock Saints poster for some reason. It was the worst. Or, like, Scarface or something, like, stupid and douchey like that. To show how tough you were. Yeah, I had a Lee Greenwood album cover uh, of his greatest hits, which, fun fact, is just one hit. God Bless America. Oh, my gosh. okay. It's God Bless the USA. Fun fact, again, also born in Canada. 
What? Yeah, it's real. Until the age wow. of seven, they moved to California. I know a lot about Lee Greenwood. Anyway, my college dorm room, we're not going to get into that because I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I, in, in, when I was growing up, always been a huge sports fan, I asked for, like, all sports-themed bed stuff, like bedding and, you know, decorations, like, in my room. So one Christmas... I had bunk beds. I took the bunk beds down from each other, and my my mom was like, I'm going to get you, you know, some, like, new mattress stuff and all that. She got me Notre Dame and Penn State. Nice. Themed sheets. Yeah, because you're a Yankee. Yeah, totally. And that's, that's, uh, I've never admitted that to anybody. Wow. So, and I also had a John Rocker poster on my, on my, my wall. Oh, yeah. He was a good pitcher. He was, it was fun for, like, two months, and then I was like, I got to take this down. Yeah. That'll get you in some trouble. Yeah. Um... But anyways, so Jimbo, don't put up any Lee Greenwood posters. Lee Greenwood? Is that how you, that's, that's uh, I'm name? not going to. Google it. Come on. He's got one hit. Come on. You need a couple hits. It's a pretty big hit, Connor. It's a pretty big <laughs> hit. But I, come on. Let's, let's be honest here. But we do have a bigger picture question about Jimbo. Uh, and I, I want to credit uh, Ralph Russo for tweeting this out. Associated Press, college football writer. Uh, does some great work with them. And uh, tweeted out something that I thought was really, really interesting. And it was that if you're an AM fan and you are looking years in advance, let's just say 11 years in advance at Jimbo's body of work, and let's say he just replicates exactly what Mark D'Antonio did. Mark D'Antonio, not Mike D'Antoni, everybody in the world who doesn't know how to pronounce Michigan State coaches. Yeah, name. as an SEC podcast, I know that's something that you know people have like long since also been fired up about is mixing up the Michigan State football coach and the Houston Rockets basketball coach's name. It's a big problem now because the Rockets are actually good. And I got Mike, scolded earlier for this, guys. Yeah, you did, big time. Uh, but Mark D'Antonio, one of the best coaches in college football, um, who I might not necessarily agree with a lot of his off-the-field stuff that he's had come out in the last year or two years. Yeah. Um, but his on-the-field resume is all we're going to compare here. We're not going to look at any of that other stuff just because for comparison's sake, we're trying to figure out what would make AM fans happy with Jimbo and that $75 million contract. So just a brief rundown in case you think to yourself, you have something in your head about what Mark D'Antonio's resume looks like. Let me just give you a brief rundown here. 145 is his overall record. That's a 690 winning percentage. He was 60 and 30 in the Big Ten. He's got three conference titles. He's got a playoff berth. Six seasons, he finished in the top 15. And then there's other stuff too, like he beat Ohio State three times. He's eight and three against Michigan. And you look at all those things and you're like, okay, if you're AM, would you take that? Would that be an acceptable bar for Jimbo's 11 years in College Station? So when I first saw this, <laughs> my first thought was, oh, that's weird. There's not an apostrophe in D'Antonio's last name. Gosh. My second thought, <laughs> my second thought was, if you're an AM fan, so keep in mind, they've already given him this stupid plaque that he can hang on his plush walls next to all of his like velvet dolphin paintings and stuff and lava lamps. Future national championship plaque. Right. He's going to have that somewhere important. When you walk into the office, you're going to be like, oh, hey, you're supposed to win a national championship. No, that day. thing's going to be cool. found in some like Storage Wars episode <laughs> like three years from now. But they, they had, they like listing off like all these stats. And, and his record up at Michigan State. So the one that stood out to me the most was, if you're an A&M fan, the six seasons in the top 15, I, I thought, you know, that, that'd be an issue. Like, you would, like, that, would, that number would have to be a little bit higher for, like, what you're expecting, especially from what you're paying somebody like Jimbo Fisher. If you're paying him $75 million over 10 years, I would expect to be in the top 15 every year. 
And then once we started looking at it, I didn't realize, not in a rude way, Aggie fans, the history of, of A&M football is not as illustrious as I thought it was. And only twice in the past 20 years, 2012 and 1998, have they finished in the top 15. When you put it in that perspective, it, may, it makes the conversation a little bit different than I think what an A&M knee-jerk reaction would say, which is that, no, we need to be the cream of the crop in the conference, or at least you know, trading off these division titles with Alabama. Right. We're, we're not at a place where we want to settle for every other year making the top 15. But Yeah, and dominating Wake Forest in a belt bowl. Yeah. Uh, they lost Wake Forest, though, right? They, well, they anyway, yeah. I had money in the over, so I won. Anyway, scored a lot of points. But like, like when you look, listing off, you know, them beating Ohio State three times—that's a pretty big deal, because mm-hmm. because I think Michigan State. The reason why it, it seems like to me, again, no offense, Aggie fans, they have a little more staying power as a national program, having like a national presence in the last decade. Yeah, and, and the reason why is because I think they've had a little bit bigger names in terms of, I guess, NFL talent. No, I mean, besides Johnny Manziel and Shenny won the Heisman. But on top of that, they they have way more memorable, like, games. Like, the Hail Mary against Notre Dame. It seems like every other November they have, like, a last-second field goal to beat Ohio State. Um, some of these games against Michigan. And then their dominance of Michigan also, 8-3 and three in 11 years. I don't know who you'd compare that to, like, that rivalry for A&M. Because we listed off, you know, Ohio State being Alabama, L- or uh, Michigan being LSU. For A&M. on the same level. Yeah, I mean, I would think that kind of having that kind of dominance on the recruiting trail over in-state Texas would probably mean a lot, and being the most relevant team and dominant team in that state. But, yeah, I mean, like, that's a pretty good resume to have. I don't think that's what they're looking for. If you have all that and there's not one national championship, I think it would look like a failure. And so maybe that is just the bar. It's just getting to a title game and being relevant year in, year out. I think maybe that's... That's what you're looking to do, and that's a, that's a really, really high bar to set. And I get that it's $75 million and that you have the ultimate recruiting ground to be able to build from within. And facilities. That's huge. You're going to get the facility. You have the facilities already. You've got the fan support. All of those things are working in your favor, but there's still the big roadblock, and the big roadblock is Alabama. Playing yes. games. <laughs> this <laughs> season is the roadblock. In November, yeah. Any game in November is the roadblock. Yeah. And you're still 0 and 6 against LSU. So, like, you got to start somewhere. You, you can't just all of a sudden go from 0 to 100 and have all these hurdles overcome and expect to get there. There's a longer road, I think, that's ahead for AM. So, the bigger I mean, picture question is not necessarily whether or not, like, it's title or bust year in, year out. It's, it's a body of work that you're going to have to look at on the whole and say, is this what we paid for? Is this what we signed up for? Is this the type of consistency and the right. type of reputation that we want to have nationally? Well, and right now, their consistency all lies with negative things. November mm-hmm. has been a nightmarish month. I mean, it, granted, maybe it was just Kevin Sumlin, but November was a nightmarish month. And, you know, as a Bama fan, going into the games against AM, I mean, their first year in the conference, they have Manziel, they upset Bama and Tuscaloosa, and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, so you kind of assume, like, maybe this is going to be like a big new rival they're going to have back and forth. 2013, they had that huge game early in September. But 2014 through 2016, for like three straight years, it felt like going into that game, AM was undefeated. I know in 2014, I think they had one loss, but they were ranked really high. I know 2015, they were undefeated, ranked in the top 10. 2016, they were undefeated, ranked sixth. They had a week off beforehand. It's like this big game that's looming. Every single one of those games ended up in a blowout. 
I mean, 2014 was like 59 to nothing. Like, they have to get over that hump. And, like, because you set all these expectations and you're looking forward to that game and you fall flat on your face, like, that many times, that's the first hump I feel like they got to get over. And then, you know, like, beat LSU. Like, get to a double-digit, you know, win season. And then, you know, start, start from there. I make a an inch, I, I make this comparison not to say that the programs are exactly alike, but there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, and what Michigan went through with transitioning from Brady Hoke to Jim Harbaugh was similar in a way in that you had a guy who you know you kind of knew he was on his way out, and you make this big time splashy hire. Expectations are all of a sudden through the roof. You talk, you start talking history, you start talking national titles, getting back to the level that you think the program could be at. Right. And then, you know, three years in with with Jim Harbaugh, two years in, people looked at the whole body of work and they said it's really comparable to Brady Hoke. I actually did a story on this last year for for Saturday Tradition on like why the the records actually look really similar, but you have to look deeper within it. And Michigan had spent like three times as many weeks ranked in the AP top 15 as they did when Hoke was the coach. Right. So there's there's things that you look at there that matter and you bring up the November point. I think it's being relevant in November. I think it's having a chance to compete for a division title late in the season, year in, year out, and having that Alabama game be that all-important game, and then occasionally winning one, kind of following the Auburn plan of not necessarily thinking that you're going to all of a sudden be Alabama, but getting to the point where you're competing with them, you can upset them in a given year, and because you have the talent to do so and you have the right coach in place, I think that's kind of all you can hope for if you're an A&M fan. And if you do somehow get to that Bama, that Georgia level, then, then you're obviously, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden just shoot that down. So that's the bar. Right. One last thing that I want to hit on real quick uh, that I think is important to remember with some of this perspective. So since 1950, Texas A&M has had one coach stay eight seasons. Isn't that amazing? R.C. Slocum, only coach at A&M to stay eight seasons. And we're talking a couple about what, that have been there for seven, but yeah, that's, I mean, I, but in, today, in today's, today's, era of college football it's not that crazy but since 1950 yeah that's crazy that's <laughs> because a you long to keep your, time i mean you get to keep your job for almost anything back then you also had to oh, teach man. like pe on the side even though you're a head coach which is dumb and you wear a tie another thing i didn't like about that so i could have never been a coach in the 50s singer songwriter yeah done but don't sell yourself short i think <laughs> yeah great yeah, R.C. Slocum was fired after having like his first non-winning record in in the in conference play, and it was like all of a sudden he was three and yeah, five. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could yeah. get away with anything in the fifties too. Like you don't have to give him water. He doesn't wear pads. Y'all go hit each other as hard as you can. The first time I realized that you didn't have to give coaches water was watching Junction Boys, the oh Bear Bryant A and M um, like made for TV um, yeah, movie with Tom Berenger. Yeah, with Tom Berenger playing playing the bear, and he I, wouldn't give him water. And- I just love how like like I remember, like I remember growing up as a Bama fan. Like we we would like always always romanticize anything Bear Bryant did, and since he was the coach, we were kind of like A and M fans. Like the colors are kind of similar. They weren't in the same conference. Gene Stallings came from there. Right. Bear Bryant came from there. But I remember hearing about that like Junction Boys. Like that was all. My dad had the book. I read part of it till the words got too big. But it was like it was like. <laughs> I remember reading that and then seeing the movie, and I was like, yeah, that's right. Like, you gotta be tough. Cause, like, when you're in high school, you're like, you think you're indestructible. You have all those stupid high school baseball shirts with like some dumb saying on it. Quitters never win, winners never quit, whatever. But Miss like, 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Yeah. The least, the worst of all time was cross country that was like, my sports, your sports punishment. Like, well, it's not a sport, so be quiet. Anyway, that being said, when this guy in like the movie Junction Boys got injured, like, cause of, he got like heat exhaustion. 
I love how he still was like, you guys go win it for Coach Bryant and the team. He's like just just crippled by this. Now he would definitely win a lawsuit. But back then they were like, he was just trying to get the best out of me. Like, no, you're you're like on your deathbed right now, man. She just thrown you some Gatorade. Mike Leach should have been coaching in the 1960s. That's oh all my that god! Thing. Everyone get in your own box outside, stand in the heat, get get in your own shed. Yeah, uh, AM has had some devastating losses over the years. One of the things that uh, I uh, this is maybe just like something that we talk about in the offseason because I think it's it's always sort of relevant and fans really remember this all the time. Uh, yeah, but I want to talk about some of. <laughs> the, every every fan loves reliving their most devastating losses, and AM has had a few of those. <laughs> 2016 against Mississippi State after they started off number four in the playoff poll, like surprised everyone ahead yeah. of Washington, and then they go and lay an egg at Mississippi State. That's a devastating loss. There are, there are a lot of teams that have really devastating losses in the last like two years. Alabama, when that 2014? No, it was it was uh, with A and M. It was 2016 when they started off number four number in the four. playoff poll. But they yeah. they lost to Bama. Was their first loss? Their first loss was to Bama. That's why I was surprised that they were at number four. Because they already had one loss and Washington was undefeated. Everybody's like, what's AM doing in the top four? Right. And then they lost to Mississippi State, and everybody's like, okay. Right. They lost Trevor Knight, but yeah, whatever. Fair enough. But yeah, you have a lot of devastating losses that you've witnessed and that you've seen on TV. I just you your best. I don't like yesterday, I'm like enjoying myself. I'm sitting at home. Oh, take, yeah, I watched bad. Dirty Dancing. It just out of nowhere, it's because I had my girlfriend sick. But out of nowhere, Connor sends me this text, and it's like, What's the worst devastating loss? The kick six or the loss to Clemson in the national championship? And I was like, I don't know. My dog died when I was eight. You want to bring that up? Like, what do you like? What do you want to talk about next? <laughs> so it was definitely the kick six. I mean, it's hand, I mean, so the worst loss for me personally as a Bama fan was would be the kick six over 2016. Now, granted, 2016 I thought was the best Bama team I'd ever seen up until that time. I mean, Jalen Hurts goes in. For like a 33-yard scramble with two minutes and seven seconds to go. And you think, you know, we're going to prevail. We're going to win this game like we always do. We've never lost a national championship. Ever. And if we did, we just claimed it still as a national title. Right. So we had a cheat code. But that 2013 Iron Bowl, Bama comes in as like a 17.5-point favorite. There was never, never a doubt in my mind we were going to win that game. Never. And you had A.J. McCarron. You had Amari Cooper. T.J. Yeldon. Going into that game, like I just it never occurred to me we could lose. And you're coming off three out of four national championships. I bet Auburn fans just just grinning so hard right now. Well, you did. Well, you damn sure did. Yeah, we get it. That's awesome. And then you had all the stupid bumper stickers. It was like the one second left on the clock. Like got a second, Nick. Like God, that's the worst. And so then the kick six happens. Kick six happens. And all um, you had to do was was not step out of bounds. Let the clock run out. That's not all we had to do. All we had to do was was a lot more than that. But it, and it was like that whole thing with with Nick Marshall being like two yards, or the lineman being like three yards downfield on that little jump pass to whoever number eighteen was. But Sammy Coates going in for the end zone, like they score with like people forget that game, the kick six. Bama was still winning, and I, you could tell it was all coming to an end. You could tell Auburn was about to score, but Auburn scored a touchdown with like thirty six seconds to go to tie it up. It wasn't like this, like, you know, they'd been tied the entire fourth quarter and it goes to overtime. Like, they came back and scored with 36 seconds left. They scored twice in the past, like, last minute. God, why, did, why are we talking about this? Yeah, I, I definitely, um, I ripped off the Band-Aid, and I'm sorry. I did not mean to do that just for you. I think a lot of SEC teams would look at their devastating losses, and there's different degrees of devastation. There's the devastation <laughs> like what you experienced, uh, yeah. which is, National championship hopes are alive. You lose in the most crushing way possible to your rival. Spiral out of control in your personal life and send off 70 
texts that you're always going to regret and ruin friendships and lives. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah. Sorry, no, Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah, I, did, I said some the choice Rock. words to him. I wish. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah I hope, I, I hope a, he wouldn't say choice words to The Rock. I, I, I had some bad stuff I said that night. That was, yeah. But, like, and then you, you brought up, you go, well, Auburn's had some tough losses too. And I was like, like what? I'd argue the 2017 SEC championship was pretty tough. Not to even close. To, not even close I mean, not, to the not same. Close, not close to the kick six. But I'd argue that that was pretty tough because you have – you beat Bama, you slay the Dragon, you beat Georgia, number one team. You're set to become the first two-loss team to ever make the playoff. It's all shaping up to be one another one of these magical Auburn years, and then that happens. And they just get the doors blown off them against Georgia, carry on but Johnson's th- see, not healthy. That kind of stuff doesn't matter to Auburn fans for the most part. Like I, I brought this up earlier because – and I've brought this up before too. Throughout history in that rivalry, especially the Iron Bowl, all of the big moments you see that CBS shows in that montage before the Iron Bowl – they're, for the most part, all Auburn moments, bow over the top, punt, Bama punt, the kick six. I mean, the comeback, good God. Like, they, they're mostly Auburn moments. And if you ask any Auburn fan, I guarantee you they would say they would take, like the year before the kick six or two years before it, they lost by combined 91 to 14 to Bama. And I bet you almost none of them remember that because of the elation they got from the kick six, which is awesome. God, man, this, why are we talking? This turned into an all Iron Bowl segment. Uh, Marlo, no, we can talk about it. I mean, past. there's been some worse losses, like you brought up with the Ole Miss Auburn game. Yeah, I think that 2014 Ole Miss loss against Auburn was one of the most devastating losses you can possibly have because worst loss like time. Auburn. Ole Miss had slayed the dragon. You beat Alabama in the regular season. You have your path to a division title right there right. if you win out and. It's looking like it's all going to happen. Laquan Treadwell gets a little screen pass. Looks like he runs it in for a touchdown. And your first thought is, okay, it's a touchdown with a minute and a half left. Go ahead, touchdown. We're going to be able to win this game. Hold on to a playoff spot. And, oh, by the way, uh, yeah, your star player's down, but we'll, we'll see what's, what's happening. And then they look at the replay and while he he's While he's being carted off the field, they're reviewing the play. That is the single worst loss. Bad. I, Bad. Like, in, in Bama had had to have that happen. Mm-hmm. To get back in the playoff race, because I mean, Ole Miss had already lost at LSU on the road, like mm-hmm. ten to seven or something like that. And then to go they lost this a week game, before, lost a week before to LSU on the road on a play where Bo you Wallace, know, Bo Wallace should have thrown that pass. Bo Wallace. So, yeah, it was like I'm just going for it. You go to the next week and you're like, like I had, so I had to pull for Auburn as a Bama fan to watch this happen. I've never felt like genuinely worse for another program than I did in that moment because you go from like the pure joy of like oh my god we just scored we came back to win all of this is still in front of us to oh my god our best player is hurt broke his leg on the play and now it's being overturned and I was like oh my god and after that game all they had I know they lost the egg bowl that year because I mean well I mean you, you lose Laquan Treadwell not saying it was just because of that right. they, they did lose the egg bowl uh, they had two home games, uh, an SEC play left, and then a potential SEC championship against, you know, against Mizzou. So you're looking at a situation in which, man, Ole Miss, that was that was your best chance. Right. There are these little windows that you get in sports, these championship windows, and the moments of devastation often coincide with them. And there are these windows that close, and when they close, that's the the toughest reality as a fan to accept to know. That that was this was going to be the year. This was supposed to be the year, and it didn't happen. I, and Ole Miss, th- th- that game in 2014, just kind of epitomized that. That one was one of the worst. I think we started thinking about like some of like the other programs. Like you, you had like the Music City or the uh, Bluegrass Miracle uh, with Kentucky LSU. 
I, I would argue that the loss of Florida last year had to hurt worse just because of the sheer stupidity oh, yeah. of what happened. It's like, what in the hell? They had 10 players on defense twice, <laughs> like twice oh, that gosh. happened. Um, that's, that's tough to do. And, and, you know, you had the streak, you know, 30 years and right. not beating Florida. That would be rough. Any- Kentucky, Kentucky hadn't been oh, – a real quick stat that I got to throw out there. So if Kentucky wins that game, Kentucky is ranked last year. Like Kentucky would have been 4-0. They had won at South Carolina. Kentucky hadn't been ranked in the AP poll in 10 years. Yeah, 10 that's, years. And that's, that's all it would have taken. And instead, I mean, I think just winning and getting that, that monkey off their back would have been uh, oh, huge. better. But yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Georgia. Georgia's had some tough ones too. Georgia, so the most recent. a lot recent. of them have been to Alabama – but I thought of one that I think might be right up there with the Ole Miss loss to Auburn, 2002 against Florida. So yeah, I mean the 2012 game against Bama, 2016, I get all that. Because but that's like that's like at the end of like a crazy season where like you you might get in to the national championship game and it's it's still been a good season. But doesn't that make that make it kind of worse? Like to to have the 2017 year that they did to get that close. To be within you're, you're within minutes of closing out, you know Alabama, you know getting over that hurdle and getting your first national championship since 1980. Yeah, well, 1980. they don't seem to be that affected by it because most of them just keep telling me how how much better they're still going to be than Alabama for the years to come. That's true. That's true. But 2002, 2002, they're ranked. They're eight. No, they're ranked fifth in the country. They're somehow favored over Florida, even though they lost them like 11 of 12 years in a row. And that that was such a good football team. Such a good they go 13-1 like the entire season. That one loss is to their biggest rival. And they were down I think they lost 20 to 13. And in the fourth quarter, with like less than three minutes to go, David Green, who's a really nice guy, hits Terrence Edwards in stride. Like just he will walk into the end zone. Ball drops right between his fingers, right between his hands. That's that's tough pill to swallow. Tough when you see it happen. And as a fan, you just think to yourself, this is the moment. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And then it just fades like that. And those moments are so fleeting. Uh, my moment like that was that I saw on TV, at least. My most painful memory as a sports fan is still the Bartman game. And I don't say because of Bartman. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm not one of those people that throws him under the bus. He got the worst deal ever in the history of fans and sports. Um, but I blame Alex Gonzalez for botching the double play and leading to the eventual eight-run inning in game six of the 2003 NLDS. But that's neither here NLCS. nor there because the Cubs won it all. Uh, NLCS, not the NLDS. I don't know why I said NLDS. But yeah, one time, uh, the worst the worst loss that I've witnessed in person, this is actually wasn't a loss, and I didn't witness it. So I don't know if it really falls in this criteria, but the last Cubs game I went to was in, uh, it was in 2016, and my buddy... Had or no, it was in 2015 rather, and my buddy had um, my buddy had worked the next day, and he was my ride home, and he decides Cubs are down one run in the top of the ninth inning, after the top of the ninth inning, and he decides we're leaving, we have to go, I have to go, be up early for work the next day. I was furious. In the top of the ninth. In the top of the ninth, yeah, and then by the you, time we get outside uh-huh. and get to the corner of the street, Chris Bryant hits a two run walk off home run to win the game. That well, was how tough. much time did you guys save by leaving? Five minutes max. I, yeah. In the top of the night, if it's the top of the seventh, yeah, sure. To this day, I still I, I still give him crap for it because it was like one of the worst things he's ever done. I hate I, it. I've never seen a walk-off win in my life. What? Would have been awesome. I, I will say, as a Red Sox fan, and yeah, I know, guys. I get it. I'm the worst combination of fan ever. But as a Red Sox fan, that 2003 Aaron Boone home run was one of the worst moments. It's the first time I ever yelled the F word in front of my parents. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Out of like three times. But that, 
my, my dad still hasn't seen it to this day. Like he he was in the bathroom and and just and then, and then it like the effect it had on like the year after is when they made their magical run like when they're down three zero and came back. My dad refused to watch games four and five when Poppy hit like a walk off homer and like a walk off like single because he was like I've seen it before I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. But I'll tell you what leaving early I think I've told you this, this story before one of the worst I mean, and I'll never forgive I'll never forgive this from happening in two thousand. Two, 2003, my dad, my stepmom, and myself went to Tuscaloosa for homecoming for the Ole Miss game, uh, and we went the night before because Leonard Skinner was playing in concert. Good band. And uh, my dad forgot the tickets at home. Oh, I heard the story, yeah. And so we had to leave early to beat the crowd during Freebird. That's rough. That's yeah. really rough. I don't know why we had to leave because I didn't forget the tickets, so there's that. That's rough. Uh, a man who is no stranger to those gut-wrenching, uh, devastating losses, Brett Bielema, uh, 2015 Toledo, ring a bell? Uh, that's too soon for Arkansas fans. Sorry about that. Uh, but Brett Bielema is in the news because he just sold his Fayetteville home. He sold it for $1.82 million. He made three hundred grand off it. Sick brag. Um, that according to talkbusiness.net. But the more newsworthy element, my, newsworthy element, in my opinion, is the fact that Chad Morris's new home is in the same neighborhood, Bridgewater Estates. He bought it for three point eight million dollars. What? That's an alpha move, right there. What is like? What is if you are buying a house in Arkansas for three point eight million dollars? You just own Arkansas? I think so. I'm pretty sure you have to. Like, you are now the governor of Arkansas. Like, I'm assuming it's Huckabee. I don't know who it is. He's he's out of the way. So Chad Morris is now the governor and head coach, which is pretty cool. It's just a power move, and it was nice that Bielema stepped down from that position. Yeah, Bielmo graciously handed it over, said, hey, go go and, and spend as much money as you want. It would have been the the bigger alpha move, probably the only more alpha move that he could have done would have been to buy Bielmo's house and then build onto it. <laughs> that would have been cool. That Just been tricked really out cool. Brett Bielema's house. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, but what are you what are you getting in that house for $3.8 million? Like, I have to know, like, is the entire thing made of marble? I think it's like six thousand square feet. That's too much to clean, though. Well, you got somebody to come in. And clean, How many people to clean it? The entire football people, team, basically. I mean, that is th- that three point eight million dollars in Arkansas. That goes a long way, man. I, I mean, three point eight in Atlanta would go a long way, but three point eight in Arkansas. I'm pretty sure, like, you have now full control of the Ozarks. Yeah. Um, you probably like your shed and like your your backyard is probably a little bit of Texas. That's yours now. Yeah. Well, you get the you know the northeast part of it. Did he, is he living at the stadium? Did he just move into the stadium and say like this is this is my house? This is mine. This is where I live. That'd be such a like oh new football coach on the job. I'm just gonna own the stadium, sleep there. Yeah, all the time. This is this is where I live now. Um, his house actually would look appropriate with the guy with the big hog, the big hog Without statue. That is, um, it would look really proportional and not <laughs> off. I mean, yeah, just a neighborhood full of white guys with big hogs. I mean, so that's – never thought I'd say that. Enough talk about proportional-sized hogs. So uh, that's from one former SEC coach to another. You like that little transition. That's good. Uh, Steve Spurrier (laughs) went on Paul Feinbaum's show on Friday and admitted that after he was hired to coach this new AAF team – I always want to call it the AAL. Is that anything? AAL? No. It's not. Uh, but this new AAF <laughs> team that's coming to Orlando, by the way. Sick brag. I'm excited. Um, Sick. And he, Spurrier texted Tebow and said, hey, 
if you ever get sick of this baseball thing, number 15, it's down here. It's waiting for you. Yeah. Play quarterback, Timmy. If you're trying to play semi-professional, well, he's playing professional baseball, but he's playing professional baseball. He's at 250 right he's, now. Yeah, it's like his his June Still batting well. average is like pretty impressive. He's figuring it out. I'm telling you. I can't wait for this 31-year-old to somehow get a shot in the major leagues, even though he will never pan out. He's going to hit 270. And in what? Gonna, by the end of the year, he's going to hit 270, and then not this year, but next year, he's going to get that September call-up. I will, I will make a bet with you right now. He doesn't hit 270. I'll bet you anything. He he dips below 250 by July 15th. Well, yeah, I mean he's going to have his you know ebbs and flows, but uh, <laughs> he he thrives in the fall, as we know. That's so, true. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I just call him up for September because you know that he's in peak form. Do you really think that like that Spurrier would want Tebow? Like I think this is how far removed Spurrier is from his glory days at Florida is that he wants Tebow to come in and play quarterback. First off, get Connor Shaw, who's like the fan favorite of all time in South Carolina. That would make sense. But like was he that frustrated with Steven Garcia that he like is now like, you know what would be great quarterback in my system where you throw the ball and you need accuracy and all that kind of stuff and, and reads? Tim Tebow. I think so. I would see it. <laughs> Steven Garcia, friend of uh STS. That's right. Uh, shout out to Steven Garcia. But yeah, we we, we've talked about this a little bit, and I went a little bit more in depth because I tried to figure out five former SEC quarterbacks who would make sense if Tebow you know, still wants to go through the baseball yeah. thing. Because we got to remember the season starts in 2019. So you can't get somebody – you can't get a Jared Lorenzen, unfortunately, who's way – Hey, can. You know, well, he's, he's slimming down, but yeah. he's like 39 years old or something like that. I'm pretty sure Jared Lorenzen is just going to slowly turn into John Daly, and none of us are going to notice. Like not a single person is going to notice. I think – Later. Well, he's he's slimming down. I know he's he's trying to go on the comeback trail now. And John Daly's trying to meet him in the middle. So, yeah, Jared Lorenzen, if you're listening to this while you know you're, you're getting a workout in, doing something like that, keep on. We support your comeback. Uh, we would like to see you come back with the AAF. But other SEC quarterbacks who I think would be more realistic. How about Ryan Mallett? Yeah. How about Ryan Mallett, a guy who was on uh, the Baltimore Ravens depth chart last year. Uh, didn't I don't he didn't start a game or anything. No. He hasn't started an NFL game in three years, but still young and could look for a place where he could actually be wanted, unlike everywhere he's ever been. And that's not to say that he <laughs> deserved to be wanted. Everywhere he's ever been. That's in a the little NFL, bit harsh. I mean, they didn't want him at Michigan because he's, he didn't fit in Rich Rod's system, and then well, yeah, he didn't no. want to be in Rich Rod's system. Still, uh, I mean, would? in my like in my power rankings of quarterbacks with chin strap beards, he's definitely still number one. Yeah, who else would be up there? Roethlisberger. Um, yeah, Roethlisberger didn't do the chin strap for very long. Yeah, but still had it, that was which is enough. Good. Yeah, that. Um, uh, what do you call the lead singer from Limp Biscuit? He'd probably be in there. Fred Durst. Yeah. Yeah, and that guy from Smash Mouth. They were all high school quarterbacks. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, no other other football players. So same breed of human. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're uh, other SEC quarterbacks that came to mind. Speaking of bearded former SEC quarterbacks, how about Zach Mettenberger? He had a beard. Oh yeah, he still got one. He's got oh. a big old beard. Well, then, yeah, yeah, he's in. He's got a big one. He's oh, in I, would, I mean, how less mobile is he now? And is, is he going to be in 2019 then? So he's in the spring league. He was in the spring league with Johnny Manziel. He yeah. joined it because Manziel did. He's like, yeah, Manziel's going to bring a lot of popularity to the league. Of course I'd want to be a part of that. Right. He hasn't been on an NFL roster. I think he was he was cut by the Steelers during the 2017 offseason. So he's right. not that far removed. He's still only 26, I think, or he's going to be 27. So like he could fit the fit the mold. I yeah. mean, a guy who's still relatively young, ridiculous, ridiculous arm strength. Aaron Murray, how about that one? Aaron Murray's not going back to, to playing football. I'll tell you that one right now. As somebody that lives in Atlanta and, and sees him around town, he's really enjoying life, and he's not going back to that. Plus, he's got like a budding career with CBS. CBS is broadcasting the games in this new league. Yeah. So and 
He is from Tampa, Orlando, Tampa, not that far. Just Are they not that far? They seem well, like they're pretty far. We'll trip up by a four. No, it's an hour and a half. Oh, that's not bad half, at all. Not bad. Uh, what about Blake Sims? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I can go for that. Twice Blake Sims it. is still, like, he's he's still, is he doing, like, quarterback camps or something like that? I mean, I know he was back at Alabama for um, I think he's doing uh, autograph signings at malls, and he's also doing quarterback camps. I mean, he was, he, I know for a while he was, like, running scout team at Alabama. Oh, um, yeah, and then they made that rule where, you, yeah, you're not allowed to do yeah, that. Yeah, that was kind of cool. But then, I'm trying to think, Jerry, I mean, J- Jacob Coker? Okay. I think he's I in real that. estate now. Not a joke. Man, that game plan that Kiffin drew up for him was unbelievable against Michigan State. Well, yeah, I mean, the defense, did, they did a lot. The, the game plan, no, the offensive game plan, Kiffin doesn't get enough credit for that. For that, that one ball. game? Yeah, for that one game. You know why they didn't I get enough credit for that, Connor? Because they only scored three points. So they only needed seven to win the game. Yeah, true. So the game was over but, in the second quarter. <laughs> true. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, there's a lot of people who could definitely be willing to do this. I think Spurrier's got a pretty deep Rolodex in terms of guys he's already contacted. Um, but I'm excited to see that, especially as a local who's going to be able to go, like, you know, travel 15 minutes to, to games and see what Spurrier's Where got. Are they play, what stadium are they playing at? They're playing at the UCS Stadium, actually. <laughs> they're playing at Spectrum Field. They're, they're probably going to get the occasional uh, Citrus Bowl game. But, yeah, they're they're starting off at uh, at UCF Stadium. So, yeah, we'll That's see cool. how that one goes. Um, Steve Spurrier does not follow me on Twitter. I wish he does. I actually tweeted at him today, fun fact, just to let him know that these are the quarterbacks you should go after. Did not get any response yet. Still waiting on okay. that. But you noticed a little something when you were looking through Phil Steele's annual preview oh, magazine. And it was something that I think is long overdue on this program, kind of right up our alley. Why don't you tell our listeners what okay. Phil Steele does? So I got my Phil Steele magazine. It's like the highlight of my offseason every year. Amongst the confusion, or amidst the confusion, uh, of going through and trying to understand what all these abbreviations were, I ended up coming across my favorite page, and it was multiple pages. Sick brag. Where Phil Steele, in the middle of like like all of these, all of these projections and predictions and all this different stuff, and he'll tell you, he's like, notice there's not a lot of ads in my in my magazine because I want to have as much content as possible. But he does take time out from that to have two pages where he just <laughs> lists off all of his verified followers on Twitter, which is the most boss ass move ever. <laughs> just That's like, so glorious. So he just he's listing it off, and I'm like going through. I'm like, oh wow, this is pretty cool. Because like a who's who of people that like I've always followed, and like people you know, like in the industry. But then it's also like the little sweet from the diet doctor <laughs> diet cherry doctor pepper follows him uh the houston texans cheerleaders it's it's like a lot of people that's like oh wow okay cool chris daughtry follows you like that's awesome man so it got me why thinking, sell an ad when you can just do a sick brag that's i mean yeah this is stuff that i would do like without yeah. a doubt like sorry <laughs> sorry coca-cola i don't have space for you in this year's magazine i'm gonna tell a story about when i was 11 years old and had a walk-off home run in little league baseball so but it was like one of my favorite things, and I texted you and our boss Kevin, and I was like, "This is pretty incredible that he has all of his <laughs> all of his verified Twitter followers just listed off." And it got me thinking, like our best followers and and Twitter stories, because like I mean, obviously I knew yours was going to be better than mine. And Not much. Not much. Nobody follows me on Twitter because I've never been a beat reporter for a team. I'm not that active on Twitter, so right. I don't I don't I don't pander for retweets or anything like that. So others do. Not just saying, others do. Was that me? Not you. Not you. Others. You know who you are. <laughs> Say it, Connor. Say I'm talking it. To Darren, I'm talking to Darren Ravel right now. All right, Marler. Why don't you just let me have what? a little but moment he, he where I call posts, out Darren like, Ravel? He just posts weird stuff about money. 
I know, and he just steals a bunch of images that people like don't give him credit to use, but whatever. Oh, man, um, this got real. Yeah, this got real. Anyway, back to the fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> so who who else follows you? Um, so I've had a few good ones recently. Um, our Phil Steele, um, part of the program here. Phil Steele follows me on Twitter. He's um, the so best. Shout out Phil Steele. He will probably listen to this and get really upset, but maybe we can just No, he retweeted me like last ad. week. His, his book, I walked up to the Barnes & Noble in the hot summer sun several days, I mean, probably for like two weeks in a row, and just came back empty-handed with nothing but sweat in places I don't want to talk about. Um, let's see. I got a few good ones recently. Uh, Eric Ainge, former Tennessee quarterback. Tony Barnhart, a.k.a. Mr. College Football. Uh, Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus and The Bachelorette. Um, poor Mike didn't get a very long run on that show. Got a r- little bit of a raw deal. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, former Alabama center. Uh, we've got a few others on here. Peter Burns does great work. SEC Network. Freezing Cold Takes. Talked about them last week. Rachel Barbro. Uh, it's D'Antonio. Uh, Ryan McGee, ESPN fame, Olivia Harlan, Marcus Spears. Olivia Harlan all I got. follows you? Yeah, she's nice. She's very friendly. Yeah, Sam Decker is who she's engaged to. I don't yeah. know if she's engaged oh, I know. to yet. Yeah, I tweeted her one time, and Sam Decker, uh, like, I didn't like tweet at her. I think I said, like, said her name, and then he liked the tweet. So this is like thirty minutes for tip off that like of like a Clippers game he was in. That's a Phil Steele brag uh, for you. Yes, I like that. That's good. Out. Um, that's good. Who are your best verified tw- Twitter followers? Um, so I don't have a lot. I have Power Nine Six One local radio station. They follow everybody. Um, I'm not going to go through my entire list just because I know that I don't have a lot. I'll say the big one for me is Mallory uh, Heights Hagen. So hopefully the GF isn't listening. Mallory Heights Hagen is running for um, Congress in Alabama. Also former Miss America, and my friend tried to set us up on a date. So, there's, I mean, there's that. Mallory Heights Hagen. The sickest of brags. That's the sickest the, of brags, yeah. yeah. So, I, I don't have anybody that really followed me that's, that's crazy. Lou Vega followed me. Oh, nice. Mambo from Mambo number, number five. five. John Rocker yeah. follows me. Um, I don't think he saw his Twitter anymore because I, I tweeted at him a picture of meeting him, and he searched his name and found it and then was following me for a minute. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just I was blocked by Clay Travis and Bomani Jones and my dad say, and my ex girlfriend. So that's it. You're blocked by more famous people than you are followed. Yeah, by. that's what I'm most yeah. excited about for for media days is meeting all the famous you know people, people in our that industry that you. have blocked yeah. me on Twitter. Yeah, uh, should be exciting. We could not fill a page with our verified Twitter followers, much less multiple like Phil Steele did. So Phil Steele, keep doing you, guy. Keep rocking that mustache. He's uh, a man. Pretty jealous about that. Uh, but anyways, that brings us to our favorite part of the program. We've got a triple barrel edition. Did no, it is not our favorite time of the program yet for yes. you. Oh, it's the no. favorite part of the program for me. And that oh, means boy. back by popular demand, oh, Family Feud. All right, let's get this over with. Ooh, I don't like how you said that because we're going to be doing it every week. We got an official review on iTunes saying how much they loved the Family Feud style, our boss likes it. My girlfriend loves it. Uh, my mom, she said she likes it. So this week, Connor. Does your cousin like it too? You want to throw anything? I don't else talk in there to my or? cousins, okay? I don't want to talk about it. They're all red fans. Anyway, that being said, this week, so I just assume that by the time next week finally airs, July 4th will have passed. Again, no spoilers, future people who are listening yeah. to this podcast. Don't tell us what we happened. Don't know. We don't want to know. But. I couldn't wait for next week because I, I love America. Fun place. So it's awesome. It's really cool. They have water mm-hmm. parks, man. Come on now. 
Some countries got don't have water. We got water parks. That's crazy. Yeah. Probably That's shouldn't crazy. rub that in like that, but I don't think we have a lot of listeners in Indonesia land or whatever. Anyway, that being said, Family Feud America edition. Strap in. You have 20 seconds on the clock, which we will always go past. I have pulled and interviewed a hundred of our greatest listeners to get their reviews on some Gosh, of the most lot. important questions around America. You had a new high score last week. 169 yes, points, not just 69. Nice. So did you get to 200 points? That being said, are you ready for Family Feud? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. You have 20 seconds on the clock starting now and go. Name the greatest president in U.S. history. John Kennedy. Nope. Bull, Bill Pullman from Independence Day. Name the best invention in American history. The waffle maker. Ooh, close. It was the spork. It's a spoon and a fork. Oh. Same thing. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. KFC's only going to use them. Moving on. Best state. I'm going to go with Florida. That is correct. It is basically an open-air Walmart with some beaches mm-hmm. in it. Uh, what is the worst state? I'm going to go with Idaho. Sorry, Idaho. Not even close. It's South Dakota. We don't need two Dakotas. I've said it a million times. It's American greed at its best. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, next question. What is the best American tradition? I'm going to go with baseball. Wrong. Freedom and childhood obesity. Anyway, better song, the national anthem or America the Beautiful as for the greatest song in America? Uh, National Anthem. That is incorrect. It is the courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue by Toby Keith. Uh, Up next, best holiday not named 4th of July? Independence Day. What? No. That is the same thing? That is, that's a, let me check the judges. It's not 4th of July, so, yeah. Okay, kind of counts. Okay, fine. Actually, the answer was Labor Day. Or Cinco de Mayo, it's my birthday. Labor Day is great, though, because you have football. It's kind of made up. Everyone gets a three-day weekend. Anyway, uh, what is the worst American holiday? Uh, I'm going to go with April Fool's Day. It's not an American holiday. It's not. I mean, that's like saying bad like ice cream. Day. National ice cream day is a holiday. That's. I mean, it's oh, ridiculous. I love it's a ridiculous holidays, thing to say. So bad the answer is Arbor Day. Because that's. I mean, All what right. the f is Arbor Day? Come on. Uh, let's see. What is the second greatest country in the world? Uh, you only have two left. America, United States. Wrong. Texas. Uh, what is the best Fourth of July tradition? I'm gonna go with some sort of barbecue cookout. Times uh, up. Ah, uh, let me check with the judges. Count it. <sighs> They're going to count it, but it still isn't enough points. The answer was drunk fireworks. You, sir, came short up. You came up short again. That was a good effort, though. It was good. I didn't feel like that was my best effort. I felt like Dad Week was much better for me. Oh, yeah. You killed that one. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, National Anthem, you didn't know who Lee Greenwood was. Yeah, sorry about that. A lot of people don't know sorry, all the words of the National Anthem. Like, my, my favorite line is when he says, we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. So there you go. Fun fact. Seeing Toby Keith in, like, four weeks. Excited. First time. It's going to be great. All right. It's a might mean too much time. We've got three of them today. Uh, There was a bride who got her groom a cake, surprised him with a cake that was a replica of Tiger Stadium. And, of course, the groom is an LSU fan. So he's like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then you look a little bit closer and you see that actually uh, the scoreboard uh, read in favor of Texas A&M winning the game. 42 to 28. The bride played a little joke because the bride is a Texas A&M fan. She basically created a fantasy cake because, as we know, A&M doesn't beat LSU. So, eh, that's a fun not little a bad joke. idea to I'm do that. A little joke nice on trolling. you. If that happens to me, that's going to be divorce, lady. Not okay. Yeah. yeah, totally not okay. It'd be like somebody coming up to you and making a a cake of you know you get you get the out you know you get an Alabama stadium, and then you get the Vandy scoreboard, and it's like Vandy you know 45 Alabama. 
31. Fun fact, you fair? just compared A&M to Vanderbilt, so that's there's oh, that. Okay, now also, I, I will say that we'll the only reason that. We'll like, I that. really want to get married is just so I can use the hashtag roll bride roll. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty, yeah. pretty good. You better trademark that one. <laughs> um, another, it might mean too much, um, we alluded to this earlier, Marty Smith, uh, the Marty Smith America podcast, Lane Kiffin went on it and talked about that 2016 matchup when he was still the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and the tide rolled into Knoxville, and oh my goodness, apparently, Kiffin said that they asked him to wear a bulletproof vest when getting off the bus. The quote from Kiffin that he said on the Marty Smith podcast was, it's crazy. They were literally talking about, like, from the bus in, a bulletproof vest. I'm like, come on, guys. This is football. They said, no, really. They had security with me the whole way, even walking on the field and stuff like that. I'm just like, I'm not wearing a vest, guys. All right? That's a little bit over the top. It was all in fun. There was a nice lot of uh, mean words. There was a lot of mean words said, four-letter words. That speaks of Tennessee's fans, just how passionate they are. I think Philip Fulmer said it the other day. We have the most passionate fans in the country. Oh, and by the way... Um, end quote. By the way, Tennessee fans wanted Lane Kiffin 13 months later to take over the program. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I just, <laughs> that's, a, I mean, any kind of vest you shouldn't be wearing in public. It just, just from a fashion standpoint. But the bulletproof vest, man. My, so my favorite memory of all this was when he came back. I think the year was 2014. It was his first time back in Knoxville. And we go in, they're playing Tennessee, and they're all, they're all amped up. It's when Josh Dobbs had his first like big moment here. And uh, they go into the stadium and and everyone knows, and like everyone in the country knows that Mark Cooper's getting the ball. First play from scrimmage, Lane Kiffin calls like a a misdirection screen pass to Mari Cooper and he takes it like 73 yards for a touchdown. He did it to himself. He he really he, he's made a lot of enemies. But yeah, bulletproof vest, that's a lot. We love the lane train though. Uh the Forever, he will never have to wear a bulletproof vest around us. I can say that with with confidence. Hmm. Um, one last, uh, it might mean too much. Uh, our guy JT Jordan Taamu, um. uh, as you love to uh, pronounce, he uh, was the subject of a video that Ole Miss tweeted out that was just wonderful. Um, Ole Miss trying to have the best protection in the country, going to new lengths to provide that protection for their quarterback. Uh, it was basically a video of Ole Miss offensive line dressed up as his Secret Service men, following him around everywhere, all over campus, through the cafeteria, taking bites of his food, making sure that it's good before he eats it. And um, well, that's they're it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. I'll give Ole Miss credit. Yeah. It was good. It was done in like the the same way that they do the This Is Sports Center commercials. Right. It was very well done. A lot of those promotional videos, I think, are just kind of corny and, right. and stupid. This, this is pretty good on Ole Miss. Favorite of all time, still the Vanderbilt football players from last year doing the mock of uh, sorority, what do you call it, recruitment videos. Oh, that was still the best. That's, if you're going to do it, just go for it. Yeah. Just, just go all in with it. Ole Miss did that, playing it up. They, re- they really want JT to be the guy. They want him to be the next great JT, I right. think, is what they're going after. <laughs> um, time will tell if he's going to be that. But that's it might mean too much. We've got a couple five-star reviews that we want to get to before we wrap this thing up. Last podcast of June. We've got three five-star reviews. The first one I feel like I have to read because if you read it, you would think that it was – everybody would think that it was made up. And I'll, I'll let you know, a little peek behind the curtains here. This came from Peel a, behind uh, the, onion. Peel the behind wife the onion. of a listener. The wife behind of a listener of my Facebook Live. We have the uh, happy hour every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. So, you know, put it in your calendars for the week after this comes out to listen up. And it's uh, it was it was beautiful this week. And I'll let you go ahead and read it. Go watch Marler open a beer on his Facebook Live. All right. So uh, this is from uh, 
Mrs. St. Jean, as you alluded to, uh, SDSXOXO, says, Chris Marler bringing couples together, or bringing couples closer via sports one podcast at a time. Yeah. Uh, you're one you're podcast welcome. man now, right? Right? You're one podcast man. That's, that's what I've been told. Yeah, I have, um, I have two. But yeah. I am a one relationship kind of guy. And, you know, if I can help out with marriage counseling like I've been doing on my Facebook Live, I'll do it. I salute you. This is from Georgia Law, subject line, GOAT. This is absolutely the greatest of really all my podcasts. I uh, love every part of it. Keeps the football lovers entertained during the offseason. The family feud segment is awesome. Keep up the below average <laughs> answers. Go dogs. I love that. I will keep up the below average answers, and I will just try and get to 69 I, points. I don't know if he was saying else. it to me or to you, but it was good either way. Yeah. Um, and the last one, you can just tell, really came from the heart, so we appreciate it. I love SEC football, and Saturday Down South is a perfect platform for coverage. I enjoy casually listening to these episodes on long car rides as I await the upcoming season. I enjoy seriously listening to these podcasts. Yeah. Casually is good, too, though. Casually. Yeah, that's uh, a very good th- point. That's from the FWH4. So thank you, the FWH4, for that. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, everyone who has been tweeting at us, uh, providing these, these reviews. We love these reviews. Five stars are the best, the best, the most kind of stars that we can get. We're going to have, I think, a 4th of July uh, edition, a little 4th yeah. of July preview. And after that, of we're going to have another products. edition of, we have one more until Media Days. And if you're in the Atlanta area, guys, and you're coming down to Media Days, make sure you come by and say hello to us. You know, Media Days are still three and a half weeks away. No, no those are 20 days. I got, on, I got on the calendar. But if you're in Atlanta, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be coming in town for that. Come on over. We'll do an awkward side hug and, and picture and all that kind of stuff and a high five. So there you go. Give Connor a Marlo's- full hug. He loves hugs. Big hug guy. Side <laughs> hug. Side hug, not full hug. Let's, uh, come on. Uh, we we want to keep our distance a little bit. We don't want to get too close to listeners. I'm going to hug Saban. Godspeed, my friend. Watch College World Series. Enjoy the fact that the offseason is basically over now, that uh, June is over. So, go yeah, Beavers. No spoilers on the future, but thank you guys for listening. As always, follow at the SDS pod on Twitter. Follow at C Marler Comedian just because he needs some followers. I do and, need some. What is going on? Yeah, you, you got to get some. And then at CJ O'Kara. <laughs> Yeah, follow all that all that good stuff. And uh, just remember the most important thing. Marler, are you going to mess it up this time? Follow me on Twitter, and it just might mean, gosh, dang it, it might mean too much every time. It might mean too much. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week.